Good morning, everybody. Welcome to everybody here in this room. Welcome to everybody joining us online. We're starting 2020 with this question, what do we want our lives to count for in 2020? And wow, this week, you know, one of the symbols in the Bible of God's blessing and presence is rain. Like Justin was just praying for the rain of God. I thought, you know, we've got like a third lake that formed on the property out here. Did you see that when you pulled up? You're like, when did the church get like a third lake? Probably in your backyard as well. Uh, but we've been, we've been talking about from Matthew 16 last week, we made two declarations about as a church, well, we want to be really clear about what we're for in 2020. In Matthew 16, remember the dialogue that Peter was having and uh, Jesus was asking him a very personal question, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And so we declared last week, we want to be for Jesus, not to play pastor obvious, but the church, right, is for Jesus. He's our rock. He's our refuge. He's our hope. He's our redeemer. He's our light. He's our life. Simply put, he's our everything. Without him, we have nothing. We really, really believe that. Like we are for Jesus. And then on the heels of that, Jesus said, well, if you're for me, then you're going to be for his church. Because he says, the church is Jesus' idea. It says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell are not going to be able to prevail against it. So if you're for Jesus, then you're for his church, and that he's going to build it, and he's going to accomplish his purposes through it. And that doesn't mean it's perfect. That means the church is led by all of us ordinary people who are leading it. And some of you may have really difficult experiences from church. He didn't say he was going to build his church and it was just going to be smooth sailing the whole time. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell aren't going to be able to stop it. And so the explanation for why the church of Jesus continues to flourish around the world isn't because of the people who are leading it. It's because the Christ who sits enthroned above it and who will accomplish his purposes in it. And we can rest in that. The church was Jesus' idea. He resources it. He sustains it. And he will carry it on to completion. And we can rest in that. So at the beginning of 2020, whatever else you don't know what to anchor yourself in, we have no idea what 2020 holds. Here's what we know who holds. We know who holds it. Jesus, the King of Kings, holds this year. And we are all in for Jesus. Thanks, Barb. So whatever else is going on when you come to church and say, you know what? That's right. When we gather every seven days, that's why we sing the songs we sing. And that's why we pray the prayers we pray. And we open the scriptures that we open. We are really believe at the core of our being that Jesus is everything. And he has a plan for his church. And a few chapters later from Matthew 16 and Matthew 21, he says about his church that it will be a house of prayer for the nation. So this is our third declaration for this coming year, that we are for Jesus, we are for his church, and if we are for Jesus, if we really, really believe he's our everything, then here's the posture with which we'll live our lives. We will be a people of prayer, because prayer is the posture of a person who really understands how desperately dependent they are upon God for everything. Prayer is that posture. Or another way, in my own life, I see prayerlessness is an indicator of self-reliance. So I think prayer is a good window into what you're trusting God for. So what you're praying about is what you're trusting God for. 
which what you're not praying about is a window into what you feel like you've got. Like, I, I got this, I'm not praying about it. And so it's an indicator of self-reliance, which is why Jesus says, if you really grasp what John 15 says, that apart from him you can't do anything, then the posture in which you will go is to your knees in a place of prayer. To be for Jesus and to be for his church is to be for prayer. And that's what this week is all about. Like, why do we have prayer week as a church? Because we really, really believe Christ is all. We really, really believe we are desperately dependent upon him for everything, for life and breath and everything. Anything that's going to happen this coming year, we're dependent upon Christ. And so we do prayer week at the beginning of the year, and we have prayer benches in our sanctuary, and we have a prayer room, and we receive prayer requests, and we have prayer services. And say, what? Prayer is a big deal because it is the response of a people who grasp Without Jesus, we're nothing, and with him, we have everything. And so that's what I want to invite us into this week. For those of you who are newer to the Eagle family, this is the 20th consecutive year that we set aside seven full days, shut down as much as we can shut down, and simply pray to be still, to be quiet, to get before Jesus, to be on our knees or sit or lay on our face or whatever, say, Lord, you are everything. And I desperately, above all else, I want you. Or I need you to stir in my heart because I'm so distracted and all these other things that I need a clarity about which what matters most in life. That's prayer week. And so several of you who are more regular Eagle veterans around here, you've already signed up for an hour in our prayer room. If you don't know where our prayer room is, later in the service, we'll show you a video on how to get there, but it's up in this area. And so I'm going to give you permission while I continue on with the message. You go to eaglechurch.com, and if you go to the bottom of that homepage, there's a place to pick an hour for the prayer room. So one of the action items from this morning is, I'd love to see a lot of you who've never done an hour like this. Some of you are like, I have no idea what I'd do with an hour in a prayer room. If you just Trust me to say, if you would just take an hour and say, I don't know, and just go, and just, what's the worst thing that can happen? You might catch up on some sleep if you just pass out in there for like, who knows, I don't know. What's the worst thing that can happen? I haven't had very many folks, I can't think of one who said to me, well, Pastor Eric, that was just a terrible decision I made. I should have never done that. Um, but I have had a lot of stories through the 20 years of people saying they had a really personal encounter with a Christ who's always eager to meet with us as his people. So one ask I have as an outflow of this morning's message is, would you consider over the next 168 hours between now and next Sunday morning, would you consider taking one hour and clicking your name on the sign-up genius, say, you know what, this day, this hour, I'll go to the prayer room and I'll just be. And it'll be really cool to see what happens. And it's okay if you say to me next week, Eric, all I did was slept for like 45 minutes of the hour. That's okay. It's all good. Probably your body. The monks used to say to me when I hang out at the monastery, he says, well, if you're falling asleep during prayer, they, the monks would say to me, Eric, you know what you need to do? I said, what do I need to do? Sleep. <laughs> I was looking for something more spiritual. It's like, no, your body's trying to talk to you. Just rest that way. So open up your Bibles today. We're in this passage in Matthew 17, and I, here's how I want to frame kind of a call to this posture of prayer, because I recognize when I bring up this subject, here's the common ground we all have with the topic of prayer, right? Let's just all agree together. None of us feel like our prayer life is where we think it should be, 
where we want it to be, where it's supposed to be, whatever. Let's all agree that we all feel a sense of deficiency about how our praying is going. Because it's really hard. If you've not practiced prayer at all, it's not the easiest thing to do. And let's all agree that our minds wander and dart in hundreds of different directions. And sometimes it can be really discouraging when you try to pray how distracted you become by praying. And what's really been encouragement to me through the years is every time my mind wanders in prayer, it's an opportunity to come back. Work the muscle of coming back with every wandering thought. There's a way to redeem it. So I've been able to do that thousands of times. (laughs) Just come back. And so... I want to, hopefully through the course of this dialogue this morning, is is lift up some maybe fresh paradigms for prayer that maybe release this, this weight of guilt, shame, regret about how we're not praying enough and how we wish we were praying more. Let's all agree that's the case. We all wish our prayer life was a notch or two better. But I want to give you some kind of pictures and paradigms away from just, some of us think, oh boy, Eric just wants like, we're just going to get together and pray like for Aunt whatever's surgery on Thursday and we listen to that on and on. Or Like you have these pictures about what it means to be in prayer and those things are important to pray over. But I want us to look at it in a fresh way and I put in your notes this morning kind of a phrase that I want you to think about when you think about the subject of prayer. Just think about it this way, a time of focused attention on God. I want you to think about all that comes from a focused attention on and with God, and that broaden what comes out of this subject of prayer. And Matthew 17 is a great picture of this. Here's the context of Matthew 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, Peter, James, and John. Now, The after six days, that references back to what we covered in Matthew 16, where Jesus says after they declare he's the Christ, the son of the living God, then he explains to them that he's going to go to the cross and die and he's going to give his life. And Jesus says to them, by the way, if you want to find your life, you need to lose it. If you try to save your life, you're actually going to lose it. Like if you try to save it yourself, if you've got to do it on your own, you're going to lose it. But if you really want to find it, you've got to lose it for him. He has this dialogue with them there in Matthew 16 at the end of it. And he says, six days later. So six days from the time they heard the news that Jesus was going to exit the scene at some point which there's no way they could imagine and process that it was going to be the cross and the bloodshed of all that. But that's what he's referring to. After six days from that dialogue, he takes Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Jesus then there appeared before them Moses, just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So this scene, I want to give you like a geographic context. Mount Hermon is the high mountain I believe they're referring to here. So here's a picture of Mount Hermon. The Sea of Galilee is there in the foreground. So Mount Hermon is on today, modern day, right at the border where Syria and Lebanon and Israel all come together. I mean, you picture all the contention around that particular border area right now. That's Mount Hermon. So the Sea of Galilee is in the foreground, and then right there, that snow-capped mountain range is Mount Hermon. They say it's a 10 to 12-hour hike up the top of Mount Hermon. This is where Jesus led them to. He's leading them up the top of Mount Hermon for this kind of experience that I believe Peter, James, and John told and talked about for the rest of their lives. 
And the word he uses there when he gets to the top, notice the encounter doesn't happen in the foothills at the bottom. As A.W. Tozer used to say, from the misty lowland where we wander so long. I remember I read that in Tozer's book. Yeah, that's a commentary on my, I wander in the misty lowlands too often. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to, we're going to rise up. We're going to go on a 10 to 12 mile hike. They get to the upper echelons of Mount Hermon and there he's transfigured. And in your notes, I put the original word, it's metamorpho, which is where we get our English word metamorphosis. And here's what it means. It means to be changed from being with. Wow. Now think about that. So it's to be changed from being with. So here's our first paradigm from this story I want you to think about. Prayer as the place of be with. It's the be with place. I don't want you to overcomplicate the subject of prayer beyond just simply carving out time and space to be with Jesus, to give focused attention upon Him. Now, theologically, here's what we always know. We know if you're a follower of Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, He's always with you. So you're like, well, isn't Jesus always with me? Yes, but think about it in human relationships. We know that in our human relationships... We can be physically present with someone, but not really present with them. If you're married, you know all about this. But if, even if you're single, you think about your roommates, or you think about a coworker, you know there are times, right, when you're in the same room with someone, but they're not really in that room with you. Like, ladies, this time of the year on Saturday afternoons and evenings and Sunday afternoons and evenings when the NFL schedule hits this, this is the demeanor of your spouse Right During certain hours, no matter what the subject is, you're in the same room but not really in the room? Or is that just my house? Is that, is that the only, right? So there's a way to be like physically present but mentally and emotionally kind of distant and absent. The same thing can happen in our relationship with the Lord. Jesus is always in the room with us. So it's not like we got to go find him. But the issue is we've got to kind of let our souls catch up with our bodies and be like all in and all present and fully attentive to him who's always with us. So present fully to the God who is always present fully to us. Are you with me? I see a lot of deer in the headlight looks at that moment. So let me say that again, right? So God's always with us. So the role of prayer, here's the call to prayer, is to be present to the God who's always present to us. Have you noticed this with God? Like it's amazing to me that anytime I crack the door and say, Lord, I want to spend some focused time with you, he's just right there. Like He's so active and eager and present, and his face is always turned towards us in love. Like I think about the times ago, God's never said to me, Eric, you know, I'm just a little tied up right now. I'm a little covered up. I got like a lot of other requests and demands going on. Like, can, we, can you get back to me like next week or a couple weeks from now? Can we reschedule this? Like, that's never happened with the Lord. But that happens all the time in our human relationships, right? But God is so like present and eager and active to be with us. The change agent in the equation is us. Like we're the wild card in this scene. I know for me, I can just get distracted and preoccupied and have my mind in 10 different places than in a focused, attentive place with God. And prayer is the be with place. 
And I find it so interesting that Jesus actually had this moment culminate with them at the end of a 10 to 12 hour hike. You know what that tells me? That tells me I got to climb for these times with God. That tells me that this isn't going to be easy to actually get to this place. I think Jesus could have met with them down in the foothills. But it tells me we're going to have to kind of lead some, leave some of the everydayness of life in the foothills. We're going to have to leave that behind to go on this trek up through some pretty steep and rocky terrain to get to the place where the distraction factor is lowered down a bit, the attentiveness factor is a little more focused, and we're fully present to the God who's present to us. If you haven't figured that out yet, that doesn't just come very easily. Like We're not born with a trigger that's just so easy to get into that space. It's easy to be out of it. Think about all the hours in our day where our mind just really never goes to the things of God. But he's always with us. He's in the room with us, but we're not really fully present to him who is present. It reminded me back in 2017 when our family was out west doing a little hiking tour. Now, the Simpson family, we are not experienced hikers. Like the thought of doing a 10 and 12 hour hike, that is not in the Simpson vocabulary at all. We were born and raised in Iowa and we moved to Indiana, right? We got to build our own hill on the property out there, right? You got to build a sledding hill because there aren't any hills, right? But in 2017, we went out to Teton National Park. It's amazing. Many of you visited it, right? Bridger Teton National Park, like, people hike there for hours and hours and days and days. Families like the Shebson family and the Sears family, they actually do this recreationally, which I'll never understand. Like, how is that recreation? But anyway, we go like the shorter versions of the hike. But as we were out there, I remember just like, I remember I'd come across an article where they had, someone had written down the actual comment cards that the park rangers had received from visitors to the Bridger Teton National Park. These are actual comment cards that the park rangers got, and the article I read listed some of them. Stay with me here. Follow this now. It says, so here's one. Trails need to be reconstructed. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. Legit comments to the park rangers. Too many bugs, leeches, spiders, and spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the area of these pests. Interesting. Whose turf are we actually on here? So get this one. Chairlifts are needed in some places so that we can get to wonderful views without having to hike to them. Or my favorite one is this. Escalators would help on steep sections. <laughs> Last but not least, a McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. <laughs> Can you picture the park rangers getting together at the end of these days, like looking at their comment cards and just go? <laughs> but you know when I read that, if I was honest, I think about all the times in my relationship with Jesus where I said to him, you know, Lord, an escalator would sure be nice right here. I could sure use a chairlift. Because, man, that next section, ah, that looks steep and intimidating. Do you know that there are, like, ridges and cliffs to the glory of God? There are some places to ascend that we're not going to get to unless we set our heart to climb. 
And that right there is the explanation why many of us don't have a metamorpho-type, Mount of Transfiguration type moments with Jesus because somewhere along the way we simply said to him, Lord, I'm good right here. I'm good in the foothills. I'm good in the misty lowland. It's a little too rocky, a little too steep, a little too whatever. When you send the escalator, you send the chairlift, then maybe, but until then, I'm good. And church, what I want to say to us today is like, can we enter into this week and press through that? And can we take some steps this week up to the next set, the next higher elevation on the journey, wherever you're at? And believe that if we'll just carve out some be with Jesus space, we might testify to a change from being with. Wouldn't that be amazing? At the end of prayer week, we point to say, you know what? I met Jesus here and some things changed in that space. That only comes from being with him. But we're not going to get it by looking for the escalators. So Peter, James, and John, they had, could have no idea what was waiting them. Could you picture like they're just going on a hike with Jesus. They had no idea it was going to turn into this. Look at the next verse, the next paradigm before us. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. I imagine so. He's like, man, this is a really good hike, Lord. Like transfigured before us and Moses and Elijah show up. Like this is a scene like this would be like not your average hike, right? If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. To me, that's Peter saying, let's have a really great sleepover. Like this is going to be a group sleepover. I'm going to build some shelter. Like see where Peter's going with it? Verse 5, while he was still speaking, because Peter was notorious for that, a bright cloud enveloped him, enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, listen to him. So from prayer as the be with place, I want you to think of another paradigm of prayer, prayer as the interruption place. See, Prayer is that space we get into where God kind of interrupts our thoughts with his thoughts. He interrupts our ways with his ways. He interrupts our talking with his voice. Like you notice like Peter's got like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Let's build some shelters. Let's have a sleepover. And he's just talking and a cloud and a voice envelops them and just, hey, Peter, I understand this is what you're thinking. I understand this is what your plan is. But then God steps in and interrupts. And I love the picture here that God's interruption is a declaration of love. And I think sometimes, some of us grew up in circles where we feel like if, if God interrupted our lives, it was going to be like an interruption that was about condemnation, an interruption about discipline, or an interruption that was involved with shouting or punishment. And I think a much better picture of God's interruptive presence in our lives is one of love. He comes with a voice of love. He envelops us with this voice that says, I know you, I see you, I love you, I'm for you. That's the interruption. If we'll pause and get in the be with place, we'll find out his face is turned towards us and he wants to speak into some things. He might, he might want to stand in the way to show us the way. How grateful are we that the Lord does that? I think all the times in my life, I'm like, Lord, it's a good thing you stood in the way to show me the way here because that was going to be a mess if I kept going the way I was wanting to go. That praise God for the way he interrupts, but the picture I want you to give is an interruption that's rooted in love. 
that if we'll, we'll slow down enough and let him stand in our way to show us the way we're going to hear, I think primarily a voice that says, I see you, I know you, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you, you can trust me. Peter, I know you have no idea what's going on here, but set down the tent stuff and just focus here. This is an interruption place. I love what Frank Labas said. He's a missionary from the early 1900s. I put this quote in your notes. He said, God, what have you to put in my mind now if only I can be large enough? Oh, how about that? Church, could you, what is, how about this week? What is it that Jesus wants to put deposit in your heart and mind this week if only we could be large enough to receive it? Can you imagine? Boy, I want that. I don't want to miss that. Like Peter's getting an enlargement of his capacity to see and receive and respond to God. That's prayer. Prayer is the be with place. And prayer is this interruption place. And now follow where the story goes from here. Watch what happens. Verse 6. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. I imagine so. What would you have done? Face down would have been the appropriate posture. They just have a words for it. God manifesting himself, a voice, a visual of bright light. They were just on a mountain hike and it turned into this. You see why I think Peter, James, and John, they talked about this the rest of their lives. But they would have never had the story if they stopped climbing. If they would have stopped at the two, three, four, five hour mark, they wouldn't have had this to talk about. But look, verse 7. But Jesus came and he touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. Verse 8. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Here's the third paradigm I want to give you. Prayer as the look-up place. Isn't that a beautiful image? I think some of you come into 2020 and you're just like Peter, James, and John right there in verse 6, 7, and 8. You're face down under a pile of whatever in your life. You're overwhelmed. You have no idea how you're going to get through whatever it is you're facing right now. And you feel, you just feel weighted down, face down, perhaps terrified, fair amount scared. And here's the image I want to give you. Could, could this not be the week where Jesus comes and touches you and says what he said to them? Hey, you can rise from that. Get up. Stand up. Don't be afraid. I am with you. I will help you. And the net result of it is, you get what the James, Peter, James, and John, they, they looked up, and what, is it, what does verse 8 say? They saw no one except who? Jesus. That's prayer. That no matter what circumstances and situations we're facing right now in our lives, that those will just kind of get reframed and right-sized under this blazing brilliance of the spotlight of looking up and seeing no one but Jesus, having our focus and our attention, our eyes so captivated by that. It doesn't mean the circumstances went away. It doesn't mean, but it just means they're reframed. It means they're right-sized. It means there's a sense of hope. It means there's a sense of perspective. It's the look-up place. Do you see prayer is that be-with space? That's prayer. Focused attention on God. Lord, I'm just going to be with you. I'm going to abandon whatever paradigms I've had on prayer and all the maybe baggage I've I'm just going to try to carve out some time to give some focused attention to be with you. And then I'm going to give you permission in that space to enlarge my capacity. You might interrupt. 
Like you might stand in the way of something. Maybe you got some thoughts to impart to me. Some of you looking for huge wisdom, decisions, your face. Ah, God, I just need to hear from you. Maybe he's going to reveal some things to you, some problems to solve. Maybe there's a sense of healing presence inside with your body, your heart, your soul, relationships. What is it that God might interrupt and a voice would come and that you'd hear that voice of love says, I see you. I know you. I'm with you. I'm for you. And the net result would be, you'd just be like Peter, James, and John, where you say, you kind of rise up from that and you look up and you see no one but Jesus, the look-up voice. I put this quote in your notes here. Arthur McKenzie, he said it this way, if you think of a problem like a medieval walled city, then a lot of people will attack it head on like a battering ram. They will storm the gates and try to smash through the defenses with sheer intellectual power and brilliance. He says, I just camp outside the city. I wait and I think. I will add and pray. Until one day, maybe after I've turned to a completely different problem, the drawbridge comes down and the defenders say, we surrender. The answer to the problem comes all at once. That's prayer. That's prayer as the be with place. That's prayer as the interruption place. That's prayer as the look up place. So church family, I invite you into a week that I want to declare is our week of Mount Transfiguration. This is our week to ascend Mount Hermon together. This is our week that... No doubt in all of our lives, it's going to involve some really practical, like in order to do, to take some steps this way, like practically we need to answer this question. What's something this week you can do to dial down the noise and distraction factor to dial up the attentiveness to God factor? That's like what practically, like what's something you can do this week? Say, you know what? I could, the Bible word for this is called fasting. So some of you might be fasting from some meals this week. Great. All the time it takes to prepare food, eat the food, clean up from the food, all the hours you would redeem from that. That's why the Bible talks about fasting. So that'd be a good thing, maybe a food fast this week at some level. For the Simpson household, we've declared it kind of a recreational electronic fast. So in our house, that would be a lot of hours, a lot of noise. So all of the technology, right, TV, phones, computer, all the recreational use of all that, we're just saying, you know what, for the next seven days, let's just set that aside. And let's see if we can't kind of recapture some focused attention towards God. That's just our action. What, what is it for you? Students, same thing for you. Every student, every adult, every single one of us to answer the question, what's one practical thing I can do this week? To just reduce the distraction and noise a few notches to up the attentiveness to God a few notches. That would be a huge step towards prayer. And then the second action item from it is I just want to leave you with Psalm 27.1. It's a little phrase in Psalm 27.1. And here's the muscle I want you to work. It just says this, God is my light. I just want you to try all week long. Bring that phrase to mind as often as you can this week and see if it doesn't help work the attention to God factor. Just bring the phrase, God is my light. God is my light. 
Start with, try to make it a goal like once an hour through your day. See if you can figure out, maybe set an alarm on your phone or something. Once an hour, one time an hour, every hour through your day, just say, God is my light. And work those muscles, turning your attention towards him who is the light. And this is why we're going to gather Wednesday night for prayer. Say, well, what are we doing Wednesday night at 7 o'clock? This is because to be a people who really, really believe in our heart of hearts that Jesus is everything. Without him, we have nothing. We're going to be a church who prays of all the things Eagle Church is going to be. Absolutely, we're going to be for Jesus. And we are going to be for prayer. Because we believe without him, we've got nothing. And so we're going to get together Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Come. If you've never been a part of a prayer service, the worship team will help lead us in some songs. We're going to break up into some prayer circles and pray over different things. I think it'll be a really meaningful time. Bring the whole family. Bring the kids. We want it to be a family-inclusive thing. So come on Wednesday night. Take some time in the prayer room. If you can't physically come to the prayer room, take some time this week in your own personal space. Because this is what it means to be a person who understands how desperately dependent upon God we are. If we really, really believe that then we will be a person who's for prayer and we'll be a church that's for prayer. So worship team, come on back up. This all sets us up for a time at the communion tables this morning. So I'm gonna dismiss you to the communion tables in just a moment. The tables are on both sides of the room. There's uh, gluten-free options in the smaller tables if you need that. You don't have to be a member of Eagle. You don't have to be a regular attender here to participate in our communion. In just a moment, the way we do it around here is you're going to get up out of your seats. If you'd like to participate, you're going to go to the tables. You'll tear off a piece of bread or take a cracker, and you'll dip it into the juice. The bread represents his broken body, and the juice represents his shed blood. And I want to dismiss you to the tables under this place. I want you to go to the table as the be with place. That this Jesus who shed his blood and his body was bruised and broken for you, he says, I will be with you. And then you come to this table as the interruption place and say, Lord, is there any way you, you want to speak in and interrupt like how I'm going about my life? I give you permission to interrupt, to speak, to stand in the way, to give clarity, just interrupt. And then ultimately that the table today would be a lookup place. That you'd come to the table and perhaps came in this morning covered up under all kind, seeing all kinds of stuff, but maybe through the course of this morning, those things just kind of settled, got reframed, and you look up and you say, no one but Jesus. That you go to the table this morning as a people of prayer. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for being a God who's always present, eager, interested, willing to spend time with us. If we just turn towards you, thank you that your face is turned towards us in love. And so as we go to the tables now, we do so as an act of worship. We remember that you were beaten and whipped and crucified and your blood was shed that we might have life. And we go to the tables and we remember that and we partake of your life. And as we enter into this 2020 and as we enter into prayer week, may this be a moment of a be with you moment. Open our eyes and help us to look up and see you reframe and kind of recenter all of our circumstances. 
help the commentary on Eagle Church be, this is a house of prayer. Because we recognize you are everything. Jesus, you're everything. And without you, we have nothing. So we partake now as an act of worship in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.